Hello and welcome to this Endo Life, episode 136. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an Endo Warrior, an Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Okay, so this podcast has been so interesting to write and record. I thought it would be a fairly straightforward one, but it ended up taking three days um, of going back and forth in conversations and research. I have no idea how long it's going to take to record. We'll see. But yeah, it's a lot more comprehensive than I thought it was going to be. So I hope you find it useful. So as some of you may know, I'm doing a lot of work at present to free up my pelvic area from adhesions and tightness caused by pulled fascia and a tight pelvic floor. And a tight pelvic floor is also known as a hypertonic pelvic floor. That's the the correct terminology for it. So I thought this would be a great time to talk about some strategies that you can bring into your daily life to help you to loosen adhesions and a frozen pelvis if that is something that you're also struggling with right now. So I've talked about adhesions and fascia before, but let's do a quick recap of what adhesions and fascia are just so we're all up to date. So fascia is a thin sheet of tissue made from collagen that sits beneath your skin and holds your organs and muscles in place. It also surrounds all your organs, nerves, blood vessels, etc. And fascia surrounding the body is is like a bed sheet. If you pinch or pull one end, the rest of it will wrinkle. So what can happen when we've had surgery is that those incisions create puncturing and scarring in the fascia, which ends up tightening the fascia and pulling it in other directions. Fascia can also become distorted from inflammation, injuries and muscular problems like pelvic floor dysfunction. Adhesions are a form of scar tissue. They are web-like structures and bands of collagen and they grow in response to injury and trauma to knit back together a wounded area and as part of the healing process from infection and inflammation. And collagen strands bond together to protect 
the damaged area to allow healing to occur in a safe and isolated environment. And if an infection is present, they protect the rest of the body by preventing the spread. Now, adhesions occur in nearly all cases of abdominal surgery. The results vary from study to study, but one large study and a long study as well found that between 55% to 100% of women who had pelvic surgery developed adhesions and up to 90% of people who had major abdominal surgery, so something like cesarean, for example, developed adhesions. So if you've had one or more surgeries for endo, it's very likely that you have some adhesions. Adhesions can also form from inflammation, which we know occurs in those of us with endo due to lesions, and can also occur in those of us with SIBO because the body sees it as an infection, so the area inflames. Again, as you probably know by now, research has shown that up to 80% of us with endo may also have SIBO, so this could be an additional cause of your adhesions and frozen pelvis. And it's also worth noting here that adhesions can actually cause SIBO too because they prevent the normal flow of the gut. So it's really difficult sometimes to know which one came first. So what can we do about having adhesions and a frozen pelvis? Thankfully, there are numerous ways to loosen adhesions and to free up the pelvis. And as a result, these strategies will help to lower pain and other challenges associated with these issues. So I'm going to dive into my top eight strategies today. And this list isn't exhaustive by any means, and you really don't need to do them all. Um, I mean, you can if you want to. Um, just pick those that feel most helpful for you and suit your lifestyle and budget. Okay, so number one is foam rolling. Foam rolling is an effective and affordable at-home strategy, which you can use every day if you'd like to. With foam rolling, we're really looking at loosening the fascia rather than working on the adhesions directly. As I said earlier, fascia can get tight, pulled, puckered and wrinkled. And if it's experiencing this in one place, it can affect other areas in the body. I know that when I had physio, a lot of the fascia work that we were doing in my pelvis was affecting my legs. I could literally feel movement in my legs. And this was before my physio told me what was happening. I explained what I was feeling. She was like, oh, that makes total sense. Um, very weird feeling. So foam rolling helps to release a distorted fascia and is when we literally use a long foam cylinder to roll back and forth on various areas of our body. With foam rolling for endo or other pelvic pain issues, we're not just rolling back and forth on our pelvis, we're rolling our hips, bums, back, upper back and legs. And so in the show notes, I've linked to a couple of videos on how to do this by physiotherapist Dr. Nicole Cozine, and I've had her on the podcast, so you can have a listen to that if you would like to. And you can order foam rollers from Amazon for about £11. That's kind of the cheapest I've seen. And in the beginning, I would suggest starting gently with a soft roller that's smooth, especially if you're experiencing a lot of pain. I wouldn't go in there with a really hard, spiky one. Now, with all of these methods, please listen to your body. Some discomfort is normal when we're working with releasing fascia and adhesions, but if it's really painful, ease up and go lightly, or if it doesn't feel right at all, appreciate that this may not be the right approach for you at first. 
In an ideal world, we'd use these strategies under the guidance of a physiotherapist, right? But I know that's not always an affordable option for everyone. So carefully watch the tutorials. And if you'd like to do some further research to be really comfortable, I suggest reading Know Your Endo by Jessica Manan as she interviews Heba Shahid, who I've also had on the podcast as well. So um, they talk extensively about foam rolling in the book. And I haven't um, read that section fully yet, but it looks great. So I really recommend having a read of that. And Heba gives you instructions on how to how to roll specifically. But if you can't afford to buy a book right now, just have a watch of the videos. So number two is visceral manipulation, which honestly, if you can afford it, I really believe is worth a try. Visceral manipulation is a form of organ massage, which was designed by physiotherapist Jean-Pierre Barrel with the particular intention to free up organs from adhesions and other structural issues that are restricting them. Organs are supposed to be able to expand and move gently as our body moves and glides smoothly over muscles and nerves as we go about our day. They're not supposed to be stuck and rigid and, you know, kind of resisting our movement. When adhesions or some kind of other structural problem is keeping them stuck, that's when we can experience pain and organ dysfunction, right? So you guys know my bladder is stuck um, and it can't expand properly. That's part of why I get this pain. Visceral manipulation is very effective for releasing these organs and loosening adhesions. And I've seen some really incredible results with my clients and they usually feel the, the difference straight away. What I will caution here is that it can feel quite intense and aggressive at times. And if your pelvis is very stuck, you may be better off starting more gently with a different type of massage, like some kind of wound massage, such as the one that I'm going to suggest in um, the next in the next tip. If you're going to try visceral manipulation, make sure you're comfortable with your therapist and be very clear with them about the pain or discomfort you experience within the session so they know when to ease up or when to stop working on an area if it feels too much. I can tell you from personal experience that gritting your teeth and just bearing the pain does not always end well. So don't think you have to, um, yeah, soldier through it. Other great forms of organ and abdominal massage include Mercier therapy and clear passage. Clear passage is really the holy grail and there's lots of research behind it for endo and SIBO, but it's incredibly expensive. So you may be better off trying other techniques first. However, if you can afford it, I highly recommend it. In the show notes, I've linked to how to find practitioners for all of these methods that I've just suggested. So third on our list is Arvigo therapy, which is a form of abdominal massage that is much more gentle than the ones I just previously mentioned. The benefit of Avigo therapy is that you only need one session, which can be done over Zoom to learn it from a therapist, and then you can just practice it daily at home every evening. Now, in my conversation with Tara Ghosh, who is an Avigo therapist and actually taught me personally, she shares that whilst Avigo therapy doesn't directly loosen adhesions like visceral manipulation does, it does encourage circulation to the area and it helps to relax the muscles and organs in the area, which can then have the indirect effect of loosening a frozen pelvis. So it does work for adhesions, but it's much slower and is kind of a less direct approach. 
However, I have seen some articles by therapists claiming it can loosen adhesions. So perhaps they mean indirectly, or perhaps there are different opinions, but you can listen to the interview with Tara in episode 127 to learn more. I think the case is that it sort of, Tara has very carefully explained how it works. And then in some of her articles, you know, people are just kind of simplifying it. Like, yep, they can, you know, they can take on adhesions. And whilst that's true, it seems to be a slower process and it's less, less direct than, um, visceral manipulation. And I highly recommend working with Tara because she's just the most loveliest person and you can reach out to her directly via the details she shared in the interview. I'll also put her Instagram in the show notes. But if you want to find another therapist, I've linked to the directory in the show notes. I'm pretty sure that Tara sees clients from all over the world as well. So if you're not in the UK, then I think that's absolutely fine. By the way, I'm not getting any... Uh, commission for this. (laughs) Just so you know, um, I just recommend pretty much all of my clients to Tara if it's appropriate. Number four is breaking up your time sitting down. Specifically by using a standing desk throughout the day at different points and by taking regular breaks for movement. Now, there's been a lot of debate and controversy over this in the past few days. You may have seen in my stories, I posted about my standard desk um, the other day, which I use at varying times throughout the day. So I alternate between sitting and standing. And I do this because my own physios and my colleagues, many of who are pelvic floor physios, and my pelvic pain training have all taught me that sitting for long periods of time without a break can worsen pelvic floor dysfunction symptoms through shortening and weakening the muscles in the area and restricting blood flow. My understanding was that sitting down for long periods of time without breaks shortens the muscles in the front of our hips and pelvis, which means that when we stand, walk, or do anything that isn't sitting, we have restricted movement, tension, tightness, and are more likely to experience pain. And if we have adhesions in the area, sitting down for long periods of time lessens the opportunity to stretch them and release them, making their hold on our organs stronger and tighter. However, I had quite a um, strongly worded message from a a lovely physio, but, um, you know, being very clear with me that this information wasn't correct and it wasn't true and that muscles don't shorten or lengthen, which absolutely threw me. So I went away and I spoke to some colleagues and they all said that muscles do shorten and that sitting for prolonged periods of time causes this and can worsen pelvic floor issues. So I was like, okay, now I'm even more confused. So I wanted to dig a bit deeper and to understand why this physio said that they don't. And I think what it boils down to is really terminology and basically the oversimplification of what happens during sitting to make physio language easier for patients to understand. And so from what I gather through my own research and conversations is that the muscles don't actually change length, but they lose their ability to stretch. So they become restricted. So here's how one of the physiotherapists I spoke to put it. Her name is Martha Spalden, and she is a physical therapist and nutritional therapist at Circle of Health Physical Therapy, a holistic health center, which is in California. 
Muscle length stays the same, so no, they don't elongate, but they can be contracted, overstressed, weak in both eccentric and concentric, I hope I'm saying that right, contractions, strained, sprained, torn, and severed. Ligaments can be overstretched and they can have laxity, which is common during pregnancy. And some people just have genetic ligamentous laxity. Prolonged sitting is stressful on the entire spine and pelvic floor, as it is a prolonged static position in weight bearing on the pelvis. The pelvis is generally rotated posteriorly. Depending on the muscles, you can determine the stress component in the sitting position. This prolonged position does impact the fascial slings, which can become restricted. So to help understand this better, eccentric contraction means when muscle length increases from tension during a movement, like a stretch. In contrast, concentric contraction is when a muscle shortens and tenses in order to bear weight and counteract resistance. So think about lifting a dumbbell in a bicep curl. This would be concentric contraction. So the ability to perform these contractions can become weaker. Laxicity is defined as, laxity rather, is defined as looseness of muscle. But I wouldn't say that this would be occurring here. I think it's just an example that she's provided to demonstrate how muscles change. Another colleague shared that sitting for long periods of time or in a bad position can worsen pelvic floor issues as it rotates to hips, sacrum and other bones in the pelvic area and that it causes muscle wasting known as atrophy, which goes on to heighten pelvic floor issues and can cause pain. After these conversations, the physio who originally contacted me also replied to say that sitting all day without any movement would cause joint and muscle stiffness, but she was also very clear to state that there was no detrimental effects on the pelvis with sitting. So clearly there are some crossovers with what they're saying, but also some different opinions. As I'm not a physio, I can't really give you a definite answer. So I'm providing you with the information I have gained and also what I've learned in my time in training and working with physios. To my knowledge, yes, sitting without breaks and movement can have an impact, but I'll leave it to you to decide. My practice, as I said, is to alternate between sitting and standing throughout the day as I feel, you know, however I feel comfortable. When I start to feel tired um, and my legs need a break, I sit down. And when I feel like I've been sitting for long enough, I stand. And every 30 minutes to an hour of sitting um, at my desk working, I get up and do some form of movement. Of course, if I'm working with my clients, those sessions are an hour long, so I don't get up in the middle of in an, in the middle of a session. And usually it's a couple of minutes of movement that I do, like rebounding or stretching, walking around the house, or a few minutes of some other exercise. And literally it's just like three to five minutes. Even sometimes it's just two minutes if I'm really busy, just to break it up. Now, I appreciate that if you have chronic pelvic pain and a weak core from pelvic floor dysfunction and from living with chronic pain, that using a standing desk could be difficult for you to do. So I suggest starting when you're ready with smaller periods of time to build up strength in the core and to also use a cushioned mat under your feet or cushioned slippers to soften the impact. If you need to spend some time first just practicing taking breaks with gentle movement to build up your strength, or if you need to do some physio first or work on pain alleviation, do that first. Don't feel like you have to jump into 
a standing desk. This is just an option and you have to do what's right for you. If you do buy a standing desk, you should also be swapping your positions when standing up so you're not just constantly bearing down on your joints. I've linked to a helpful article in the show notes on different positions to adopt and how to stand in a healthy way when using a standing desk. And there's now mountain evidence um, on the health risks of sitting for long periods of time without breaks or movement, including heightened inflammation, which you guys know is super important for us to keep on top of. So if you're employed by a company, they really shouldn't be surprised by you asking for a standing desk. And in fact, it should fall under reasonable adjustments to help make you feel more comfortable when living with endo. If you have trouble getting your company to agree, I suggest having a listen to my interviews with with Vicky Williams and Claire from See Her Thrive, which are both about your rights as an employee with endometriosis in the workplace. And if you're curious to learn more about the health considerations and research behind prolonged sit-in, I've linked to a couple of articles in the show notes. If you're self-employed like I am, you can easily order a standing desk online. Prices range pretty dramatically from whole desks, which adjust to become either a seated or standing desk at about a thousand pounds or cardboard desk toppers that you just put on top of your desk and that you rest your keyboard and computer or laptop on. And these are around 15 pounds. So I have the cardboard one, um, super easy to just, it just opens up like a box. And so I can just swap between the two very quickly. If you're not quite ready for a standing desk or you'd like some something extra to support your pelvis further when you're sitting, it's best to take a quick break from sitting every 30 minutes if possible. I recently spoke to Rachel Dutton, the period whisperer, and she suggested getting up and doing hip circles, both clockwise and anti-clockwise, for a minute or so, or doing cat-cow stretches whilst I was still in my chair. There are tons of movements you can do while seated to give your pelvis a quick break. So if you'd like more options, do some extra research until you find some that suit you. So to end this unusually controversial controversial tip, I want to reassure you that if you need to sit down or lay down regularly, it's okay. The key is really about trying to add in healthy movement regularly as and when your health allows and to take regular short breaks from the sitting position again as and when your health allows. I understand there are days when all you can do is stay curled up. I've absolutely been there too but on the days when you feel stronger consider small movements like rotating your hips or a quick cat cow to break things up a bit. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. This episode is sponsored by my new free download, Natural Pain Relief Toolkit for Endometriosis. This four-page guide includes herbal remedies and teas that are in your cupboards already, safe pain relieving supplements, essential oils for self-massage, and much more. There's a method for everyone, whatever your taste and your budget. 
some of the options literally range from 40p to £10. So there is a range of things to support you. And the chances are that you're going to have some of these in your house already. So I'm hoping that this is a really accessible toolkit for you to get started. You know how I work. I like to make changes from our foundations of health, you know, nutrition, lifestyle. It's not about slapping on a load of like pain relief and supplements um, and kind of masking the symptoms. But Sometimes we need a bit of help to get out the pain so we can actually begin to make some changes and feel better. And these are the strategies that I use with my clients when they're stuck in the in a rut. They don't have the energy um, and they're having too much pain to actually be able to take the first step forward. So we just want to ease those symptoms, get them out of pain so we can begin this coaching journey together. So I'm hoping that if you're at this moment struggling to see the woods for the trees and get through some of your current pain that these methods are going to help you. To get your copy, go to the link in my show notes or just go directly to my website and the link is on the homepage. Okay, so number five is pelvic floor stretches. You guys knew I was going to go there because I talk about pelvic floor stretching all the time. So Pelvic floor physio stretches are essential, in my opinion, for loosening adhesions and freeing up a frozen pelvis. Of course, in an ideal world, we'd all go to see a physio who can give us tailored stretches to do daily at home. But, you know, that's not always an option for some people on smaller incomes. So if that is you, you'll be pleased to know that there are so many pelvic floor stretches for endo and chronic pelvic pain available online and in books. I've linked two videos, articles and books in the show notes for you to choose from and all of these are designed by professional and specialised women's health pelvic floor physiotherapists. What I will say is to listen to your body here. If you're experiencing pain or you have a strong reaction, ease up and try a different stretch. You may be currently just too tight or too frozen in the pelvic area to attempt certain stretches for the time being. And I've seen that with my clients. So start slower and allow some space and flexibility to build before attempting those kind of pain triggering ones again. Get things moving a bit more before you go in with the hard stuff. Now you could add these in during your day as part of your break from sitting or in the morning as a way to wake your body up or in the evening to help you to wind down. Honestly, I find they work whenever, all the time. Whatever it is, find a time that suits you and don't worry, you don't have to spend half an hour on this. 10 or even five minutes is fine. Just start and try to get them in as often as possible. Daily if you can, but don't stress if you can't. Now, of course, I don't know your personal circumstances, so if stretching isn't the right choice for you right now, don't worry and just try something else from this list that is. Okay, so number six is proteolytic enzymes. Proteolytic enzymes are enzymes which break down proteins into amino acids. When used for healing, they help to reduce inflammation post-surgery and aid in clearing waste products from the wound site and help to reduce adhesion formation. And this is because the building blocks of tissue are proteins. So If proteolytic enzymes help to break down proteins, they can, of course, help to break down the adhesion formation and the scar tissue that's starting to build up. 
However, because they reduce adhesion formation, there is this risk that if there is an infection at the site of the wound, that it could spread, as adhesions play a role in isolating infection sites from the rest of the body, as I explained earlier. And this is actually quite rare, but it has been known to happen. Another thing to note is that the research is limited on proteolytic enzymes. Most of the research is on oral surgery or sports-related injuries. The only study we have on enzymes for endo specifically is one we use commonly at the Integrated Women's Health Institute, and that's Robenzyme. Robenzyme was shown to reduce pain and inflammation post-surgery and inhibit the formation of new blood vessels, reducing the chances of further endo development and adhesion formation. So the dose used in the study was the label dose for 40 to 60 days pre-op and then 60 days post-op. And you need to take Robenzyme away from food, otherwise the enzymes will just be used for digestion because that's basically, you know, if you, in your body, you have digestive enzymes that break down protein and carbohydrates and fat, and we can take digestive enzymes to help us with digestion. So just don't take them with food if you want them for this purpose. Now, most of the studies on adhesion formation are conducted pre and post-op, so I really can't say whether they'd make a difference if your surgery was, say, five years ago. My instinct is that they wouldn't aid with the adhesions, but that they might help with the inflammation. So number seven is castor oil, and this one is also a little bit controversial, so I'm going to provide you with the info, and then you can make your own decision about it. Now, I know countless leading women's health practitioners who use castor oil to soften and break down adhesions and who experience great success with it with their clients. However, it's generally considered that more research needs to be done and the current research is kind of inconclusive. Though there is some research on castor oil's abilities to lower inflammation, reduce symptoms of constipation, improve circulation and stimulate muscle relaxation. And you may have heard our vego therapist Tara Ghosh break it down in my interview with her. So she explained that castor oil actually triggers the immune system due to some of its chemical components. However, on responding to the call, the immune system finds that there's actually no poison there. And instead, whilst it's there, it goes about using its tools to repair and heal the pelvic area, which in turn helps break down the clear adhesions. She also emphasizes that the lowering of inflammation and improving blood flow to the area thanks to castor oil is part of how this process works. And Tara isn't the only fan either. I had a conversation about castor oil with my colleagues um, and so many of them used castor oil packs to break down adhesions. And I know Nicole Jodim is a fan of them um, for endometriosis and period pain. So if you want to learn how to make your own castor oil pack and how and when to safely use them, I advise listening to my interview with Tara, who has a really quick and easy method as opposed to the often messy and sticky traditional approach. So last up is heat therapy. And weirdly, it is another controversial one. So heat therapy is often used by practitioners to help loosen fascia, muscles and breakdown adhesions. And as I said, I um, had a chat with Rachel Dutton recently um, and she strongly recommended to me to help with my lower right side 
of my pelvis, which is really stuck and it isn't responding well to bodywork therapy because it's just too frozen right now. So I need to start a more gentle approach. She recommended heat therapy and she explained that heat therapy stimulates blood flow, which as a result helps to break down scar tissue. And additionally, increased blood flow will allow the muscles to relax as more oxygen is delivered. And so any muscles which were contracting due to restricted access to oxygen, which is common, right, when you have a tight bunched up pelvis, can start to loosen and become more mobile. And there's also research showing how heat therapy can prevent adhesions from building up as much after injury. Now, unfortunately, PubMed was down at the time of writing this, so I haven't got a ton of studies to stick in the show notes about this, but I've put a few articles and one or two of the studies I already had. Um, And of course, you can do some of your own research as well. Hopefully, when you're listening to this, there won't be any PubMed problems. So this is where the controversy comes in. Some sources, but not many, claim that heat can loosen adhesions and fascia, and then as they cool, they stiffen up again and become more stiff than they were before. I dug into this further, and honestly, I couldn't really decipher how these sources came to that conclusion. And I spoke to multiple colleagues about this who were equally as baffled and looked at the articles with me, and didn't really feel like the claims were fully supported. However, one research paper does discuss something called the rebound phenomenon. And this is where the positive effects of heat therapy are actually only present for 20 to 30 minutes. So for 20 to 30 minutes, the blood vessels dilate and blood flow increases. But afterwards, the blood vessels actually start to constrict again, preventing blood flow. So this is definitely worth taking into consideration, right? Because if we have less blood flow, it's going to cause cramping. After I raised this point to my colleagues, they all agreed that they only use heat therapy for 20 to 30 minutes in terms of hot water bottles. Um, And they tend to use their hot water bottles applied alongside castor oil packs and perhaps alongside massage therapy treatment. And they were also very keen to stress stress that they never use boiling water um, in a hot water bottle, only warm water. However, I'm really personally curious about whether we can go a step further than hot water bottles. For a long time now, I've been really interested in the research behind behind, um, infrared therapy, which has been shown to heal muscle injury, tissue damage, and lower inflammation. And for this reason, I've been really curious about infrared sauna belts and infrared heat pads for my chronic bladder pain, because part of my chronic bladder pain is to do with tissue damage inside my bladder, in my bladder wall. So if I can repair the tissue, that would be part of this healing process. I haven't actually bought one yet because I'm just spending so much on SIBO healing, but the prices are not too expensive. They're about 50 to 60 pounds, but for some of us, a hot water bottle is of course a more affordable choice. So I totally understand that. So whilst I can't be sure about the theory that adhesions and muscles get worse after heat therapy, clinically, heat therapy seems to achieve remarkable results, especially when combined with castor oil packs and massage. Of course, if you're going to use hot water bottles, just keep it to less than 30 minutes and don't use water straight off the boil. I know that if you're in constant chronic pain, you may be using a hot water bottle all the time. This is just the information that I'm providing you with. 
um, and you have to make your own decision, understanding the, the risks associated with it. I think a wonderful way to try heat therapy is to use heat 30 minutes prior to a home massage, like a Vigo therapy, to really relax and soften the muscles so they're more pliable and open to movement and stretch. Um, that's certainly the approach that I'm going to try now that my crazy pelvic right-hand side pain has calmed down. Um, some of you may have followed that story on Instagram last week. I had a really severe reaction to this one manipulation. Um, just because it's so, so frozen, we need to go a bit more gently. Um, so now that's passed, I'm actually going to kind of go more gently and use heat and our ego therapy before going back to my, um, therapist for visceral manipulation in about four weeks time. So I hope that has given you some ideas to soften your fascia, loosen adhesions and release a frozen pelvis. Remember what works for one may not work for another. Always listen to your body and be guided by what it's telling you. And ideally consult a practitioner if you cannot afford, if you can afford to do so. I would really, really love to hear what strategies you try. I'm super interested in this. Um, so please do let me get know how you get on. And of course, um, a disclaimer that I really should have added at the beginning. I'm not a physiotherapist or a massage a masseuse. So this is information that I've learned in my training from working with colleagues, from being a patient to physios. So I've provided studies and references in the show notes. Um, please do your own research and use this for educational purposes only. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 